My dear brethren and sisters, it seems that tracing family history and tracking down ancestors to find out exactly where your family has come from has become one of the world's most popular pastimes. In an increasingly dislocated world, it means a lot to people that find out where their families have lived, how they have ended up, where they are today, and what life was like for their forefathers. Learning about family history also opens up a fascinating window on local, social and national history, and reveals unexpected connections with people, places, countries, occupation and historical events. The goal is to build up a family tree that includes all of your relatives, as back as far as you would like to go, or at least as far back as you can go. People used to trek halfway around the world to look at gravestones and study parish registers, and many still do. But now, online census data and other electronic records have made searching much easier. And this has made the pastime much more popular. For some people, it really matters where they have come from and who they are. Perhaps they never knew their real parents or grandparents. And finding about, out about them is the next best thing known to them. We know that family records exist in the Bible. These records are mentioned frequently in Genesis, Numbers, 1 and 2 of Chronicles, and Ezra, and of course concerning Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. And we are at present reading from the book of Chronicles. And I wonder, dear brethren and sisters, how many actually read the Chronicle genealogies every year. For they must be amongst the most difficult to get any practical lessons from, and yet we read, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. The people recorded in these lists, in the first nine chapters of the first of Chronicles, lived centuries ago. And yet God has preserved his record of them for us to see in such detail. Dear brothers and sisters, God's memory never becomes dimmed by time. In these chapters in Chronicles, we are faced with lists of names, genealogies which were important to those Jews returning to Israel, from exile under Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah. The books of Chronicles were specifically prepared for the returning exiles, they are an account of their history. They are records of events of God's ancient kingdom centred in Jerusalem. This was when David was, and subsequent queen, kings sat on the thrones of David. These books were prepared to help guide the people about what God required and warn them of dire consequences of the, warning them of the dire consequences of ignoring his precepts. The Jews are described as the 
children of captivity. The Hebrew word for captivity signifies stripped bare. Their captivity was not merely dispersion, but a stripping bare of all good things of life. But now they were returning to their homeland with their few possessions, carrying the precious vessels of the temple with them. They had left Babylon for an 800-mile journey across the great desert, back to their homeland, and now there was plenty of hard work for them all to do in repairing Jerusalem. And so it was declared to take a register of all those who desired to return to the land. And so this first book of Chronicles lists the names, genealogies of all those who returned. In the first of Chronicles, chapter 9 and verse 1, we read, So all Israel were reckoned by genealogies, and behold, they were written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, who were carried away to Babylon for their transgression. From the beginning of the Hebrew nation, public records were kept containing a registration of the name of every individual, as well as the tribe and family to which he belonged. One reason family history was important to Israel is that it proved one's identity as a Jew, a partaker of the blessings of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, and part of the people chosen by God. If a person was not a Jew, he or she could not truly be a Jewish citizen and participate in all aspects of Jewish life and culture. Family history was also important due to where one lived, as each of the Jewish tribes had received a land inheritance. And so we see that extensive space is devoted to genealogies in this first nine chapters of the book first book of Chronicles, because they served many purposes. They demonstrated the legitimacy of a person or a family's claim to a particular role or rank, to preserve the purity of the chosen people and its priesthood. For it proved that a Jewish male was from the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. If a man could not prove this connection, he was unable to be a priest. These chapters in the first book of Chronicles lists priests, Levites, armies, temple officials and other leaders of various ministries. In the first of Chronicles chapter 6 we see a long list of the sons of Levi and we know what a vital role that tribe of Levi was called upon to play in the spiritual life of Israel. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, how vitally important it was that this priesthood existed in the life of the nation. Because we must never forget that Israel, like the rest of mankind, was comprised of sinful human beings. And the meditation of the priesthood was there so that there would be a communication with their God. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, what a wonderful, merciful provision. 
The verses in this chapter remind us that throughout their long history, from Aaron down onwards, right down through the time of the judges and monarchy <clears throat> until its final collapse under the Chaldeans, there was this line of priests. Often this divine care <clears throat> for the chosen people, right from their earliest days as a nation, appears in the Psalms. And we read, for example, in Psalm chapter, uh, yes, chapter 78, verse 32, 52, He, the Lord, made his own people to go forth like a sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. These chapters in the book of Chronicles, then, depict God's care and his provision for his people. For the divinely chosen people were provided for in every way. In the ruined city, with hostile enemies surrounding them, and with all the problems of the future facing them, this faithful remnant rejoiced before God, because they knew that he was with them. The book of Ezra records for us the early enthusiasm the Jews had in rebuilding the temple. And God blessed those who arose and worked in his service, and, he, and who were not discouraged by opposition. And there is a lesson there for each and every one of us. Something like 43,000 Jews, servants and singers returned. A small number compared to the token taken into captivity. But, dear brethren and sisters, this was sufficient for God's purpose. And we have to look at ourselves if we will be included in the small number of those ransomed from the millions of humanity over the ages, again, it will be a, a relatively small number, but it will be sufficient for God's purpose in the kingdom. There was no welcome for those returning exiles by the neighbouring nations, for the Jews were viewed with resentment and hostility. How does the world view us? today. What well, brothers and sisters, we know as time went on, Israel became so wicked and disobedient that God cast them off from being his people. They thought they were God's chosen people for all time. Many of them became complacent and refused to heed the warnings of the prophets and apostles. So God cast them off and extended his salvation to the Gentiles. Dear brothers and sisters, he has extended his salvation to you and to me. What a great honour. The Apostle Paul says in Thessalonians, God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Like the Thessalonians, we also have been chosen by God. Let's turn to the Apostle Peter's words in his first epistle, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. He writes, But ye, that's you and I, dear brothers and sisters, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, 
that ye should show forth the praise of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. A chosen generation is a race or a people brought into existence by divine choice and not by fleshly birth. God hath chosen each one of us before the foundation of the world that we should be a people set apart by God for himself. He has called us because of his foreknowledge. He knows that we have the capacity to be suitable for his purpose. The hand of God, through the work of the angels, has worked in our lives to bring us to the truth. Dear brethren and sisters, it is important that we appreciate what God has done for us. We have been called by God and obeyed the command, command to be baptised. We are now God's special people, his peculiar people, or in other words, his purchased people. So dear brothers and sisters, whatever fleshly nationality we might have originally claimed, we now constitute the true Israel of God. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, For as many of you has been, have been baptised into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male or female, for we are all one in Christ. And if ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Dear brothers and sisters, by these very words, we are reminded that we are all linked in the family. We are all linked to Abraham, being children of Abraham, and because of that, brethren and sisters of Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ stands at the end of an illustrious genealogy one in which the names of David and Abraham are all linked together. We all then must follow the attributes of our Lord and Master. And if we do this, a common family likeness to our Lord will be seen. Dear brothers and sisters, as children of God, we must manifest the characteristics of God or else he will disown us. And so, going back to those words in Peter, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Just as that generation of Jews that we have been speaking about needed their ironic line of priests, so, dear brethren and sisters, we too need the royal priesthood. Melchizedek was both king and priest and therefore the founder of a royal priesthood, which is far superior to the Aaronic. We are told of Christ that he was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. There is then another order of priest, not Levitical, to which Christ belongs. Christ could not become high priest under the Mosaic constitution, for God had already appointed Aaron and his sons. 
And no other tribe could give attendance at the altar of the tribe of Judah from which Jesus came. Nothing was said of priesthood. It was the royal tribe. The Apostle Paul says in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 4, If he, Christ, were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. The brothers and sisters, the whole circumstances were changed. For again in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 9 we read, Then said he, Jesus, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. As there was a complete change in the law, there was also a necessity for change in the priesthood and the conditions of the priesthood. Jesus was made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek, a position not received from a predecessor, neither handed down to a descendant, but a continuing priesthood. Melchizedek's priesthood is based on selection and faith, and not on blood relationships or family descent. And yet, dear brethren and sisters, it is to this priesthood that we have become related. For if found worthy, we will become both kings and priests, or members of a royal priesthood. So we think about our high priest and mediator. We think of the wonderful provisions God has given to each one of us. As we have said, the work of the high priest was for Israel, as indicated by the twelve stones on the breastplate and the two onyx stones bearing the names of the tribes. So Christ's work is on behalf of us, his people, spiritual Israel. He pleads our cause in heaven in order that we may finally enjoy the glory and the beauty of his perfect work we will be incorporated into a glorious spiritual temple. The Jews going back to their land after their long exile was mainly to rebuild the temple and re-establish national worship in the temple. However, God is building today a far superior temple to those that have been built before it is a temple made up of living stones, made up of those who let him shape their lives so that they might be just right to fit into his living temple. We, like the stones of the physical temple, are being quarried out of the world and then being shaped and formed throughout our life to fit into that glorious spiritual temple of Christ. All of the shaping and forming is taking place now. Dear brothers and sisters, it is about our willingness to be shaped. Do we really appreciate that? That we have been chosen to be part of the eternal temple? God is our architect and Christ is the chief cornerstone to be part of the eternal temple. And his love is the mortar that holds us together. 
Yes, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus is the cornerstone of the foundation. If you remove the cornerstone, the building will collapse. The cornerstone holds everything together. So it is with the ecclesia. If Jesus is absent from our ecclesia, the ecclesia will collapse. The Apostle Paul in the first of Corinthians chapter 3 has much to say about building the house of God. Let us turn to this chapter, the first of Corinthians chapter 3 and read verse 9. For we are labourers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Yes, dear brothers and sisters, we are labourers together with God. The work then that we do, we do not of ourselves, to the glory of ourselves, but it is of God that he might be glorified. Knowing that our labour is not in vain in the Lord, we must be willing to bear the reproach of men, looking for the day when the house will be complete in all its splendour and glory. The aspect of labouring together with God demonstrates that there is something which is required of us. Rather than just sitting down, being lazy, we must set our hand to the plough and become the labourers together with God. In verse 6 of this chapter we find particular aspects of the work referred to. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. We find then that the growth and maintenance of the ecclesia requires different types of work to be done. Yet like, just like those Jews returning under exile, they all had different roles to perform. Yet they, like us, are one in the Lord. However, we also read in verse 8, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labour. Although we must all work together, we cannot rely on another man's labours to gain us entry into the kingdom. Like those Jews returning from exile, there is much work for each one of us to do. Are we building? Are we doing God's work? Let us not then just sit back and watch others do the work, or sit down and just dream over the plans. We each have a job to do. We must never give up. We each have been given a task, and it is up to us, each one of us, to do it. Dear brothers and sisters, we have so much to be thankful for. You and I have been brought into existence by divine choice. We are a chosen generation, and let us never to cease to thank our Heavenly Father for this great honour. Let us thank him for grafting us into his family tree. Thank him that we now are adopted Jews and are classed as Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. While we have all the natural interests 
and curiosity about our ancestors, especially if they were connected with the truth, we must remember that we have been born into Zion. As Psalm 87 tells us, and let's read this, Psalm 87 and verse 5. Psalm 87 and verse 5. And of Zion it shall be said, This and that man were born in her, and the highest himself shall be established. The Lord shall count when he writeth up the people that this man was born there. When our Master returns, may he see that we are indeed a people born into Zion. There is no need then for us to hunt through genealogies, for through baptism into Christ we are members of God's family and have something very special in common with each other. Dear brothers and sisters, our Father who is in heaven is a great keeper of records. He knows when our names were grafted into the family tree. He has a record in heaven of all those who have been baptised into Christ and are his. Dear brothers and sisters, God knows us all by name. He knows everything we have done and what we are doing. For he sees and knows all things. How blessed we are then to have this provision of a merciful and thankful high priest who pleads our cause in heaven. And so let us thank our Heavenly Father for his dear Son who sits at God's right hand. And we now come to remember our great High Priest and remember what wonderful provision that God has provided with us. The writer to the Hebrews invites us to consider the Apostle and High Priest of our profession, Christ. Jesus, our High Priest, had that same sin within him that we have within us. Because he knows our frame from bitter personal experience. And because, too, he did his work faithfully. And in love for his brethren and sisters, he can also be a merciful and a faithful high priest. Dear brothers and sisters, what a great comfort that is to each one of us. Let us be thankful to him for all that he has done and let us remember too that his righteousness covers us. Let us always then avail ourselves of the great privilege we have of prayer through our High Priest to our Heavenly Father and pray that he may help us in our life of probation. Dear brothers and sisters, God wants each one of us to be in his kingdom. His own purpose was designed for us to have a real part in it. And if found worthy, we shall be kings and priests. What a wonderful future then we have to look forward to. Let us then take heed of the lessons of Israel of old. For the books of the Chronicles' main objective is to prepare a people for the coming king. And in this regard, they are as critical today 
as they were for the remnant in the captivity. Dear brothers and sisters, let us read them and more importantly, learn from them. Our master will soon call us to the judgment seat. What will he see in each one of us? We pray he may see a group of people, although small in number, yet have been willing to give all in his service. May each one of us in that day then be granted a place in that wonderful kingdom to come.